Dr. Tanya Grantham received her veterinary science degree from the University of Pretoria in 1994. Prior to veterinary school, she got a Bachelor of Science degree in Zoology and Genetics and an Honors degree in Genetics from the University of Pretoria as well. She holds a Certificate of Safety and Competence in Veterinary Acupuncture from the Association of British Veterinary Acupuncturists, is a Certified Canine Rehabilitation Practitioner from the University of Tennessee, and is a Certified Caninology Canine Body Worker. Dr. Grantham is also certified in veterinary acupuncture by Chi University and has completed the Canine Sports Medicine module with Dr. Chris Zink at the Canine Rehabilitation Institute. Please enjoy this conversation as we talk about her upbringing on a farm in Zimbabwe, her veterinary training, the events that led to her interest in holistic medicine and rehabilitation, and what her rehabilitation practice looks like today. Dr. Grantham, thanks for joining me today. It's a great pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. So where did you grow up? I grew up um, in Zimbabwe. Um, I'm currently residing in South Africa. I'm a citizen there now, but Zimbabwe is just north of the South African border. So I grew up on a farm there and went to school there until um, 18 months before I finished school. And then my parents came to South Africa and I finished my schooling here. And then my my um, studies in South Africa as well. What, uh, what sort of farm was it? So my dad was primarily a tobacco farmer. Um, <laughs> and, and then he had some cattle, you know, to make use of the, of the rest of the land. Is that, um, how, much land, how much land was there? Um, oh, he still spoke in acres. It was um, 1,900 acres. Wow. Yeah. That, that's, that's large. So the cattle were used on land that couldn't be couldn't be farmed for tobacco. Correct, and for yeah. a, I guess it helped him with a bit of cash flow as well. Sure. When did you get the idea that you wanted to be a veterinarian? I was about five. Um, I wasn't in school yet. My dad came home from the lands one day, and I had rescued a lizard from um, the two fox terriers that were on the farm. And it had been quite a traumatic experience for me. And the lizard did not make it. And when he came home that night, I said to him that I was going to be a veterinarian. And um, to the credit of my parents, because at that stage it was a bit unusual for um, women to want to be vets, and my parents never discouraged me. So um, I, I've not wavered from that. I spent the next 20 years getting my qualification or everything sort of went in that direction. So, did you have any exposure to a female veterinarian before vet school? Um, I would say no. I, um, I mean, being on the farm, we didn't really make use of veterinary services a lot. Um, and the, we are talking sort of the early 70s. Um, so, I had not been exposed to vets really until until I left school, so until I was about 17. And then um, one of my roommates at um, university, her boyfriend was a vet, so I spent quite a bit of time with him um, in the process of, while I was studying my um, BSc degree, in that process I spent a lot of time with him and used that as you know, my application to vet school. Was that something that you needed to have, that documentation of some sort of exposure? Um, it wasn't. We can get into into undergraduate vet school straight out of school. 
Um, but at that stage, there were restrictions. There's only one veterinary college in South Africa. And at that stage, there were restrictions in terms of the number of women that they accepted. So they took 100 students a year, of which 20 were women and four were foreign. And so we really had to be top of the class to be in that um, group of 20. And I didn't make the grade. And so the next thing to do was to go and study a, um, as well, I went to study a science degree. And then every year I applied um, to be accepted into vet school. And so by spending time with vets, um, obviously that strengthened your application. But it wasn't, sure. it wasn't um, compulsory, no. So any time along that path then, once you started uh, zoology and genetics, yes? Yes. So any time along that path, you would just apply each year? Yes. And, and, okay. Yes. Okay. And, and at that stage, the ap um, application process involved um, an interview with vets that I suppose volunteered for that purpose or for that panel. So each year I applied and then I went for the interview and then they would look at all my grades and where I was and they would make a decision. So for the, so I, I finished my, my BSc, which is three years. And then I did the honors degree, which was another year. And then they accepted me into vet school. And you were, you were one of a hundred then at that point. Yes. And by then they had increased the number of um, women that they accepted to about 40. Wow. Okay. So, so that it had doubled. Yes. But still, still with a class size of around a hundred, they went to forty percent women instead of twenty. Correct. And it was that. Do you know was that a hard number that that you know? Hey, we're going to try to achieve this this forty. No, it's very interesting. There's been a lot of conversations and speculations with regards to how those distinctions even came about. So the. Um, the culture in South Africa is very, at that stage, certainly was very male dominated. Um, and women spent a lot of their time in the home and didn't really have careers. And veterinary science was in, then considered to be a very um, masculine profession with um, most of the vets working in rural areas. You know, there's a very big um, farming component to the South African um, industry or the the makeup, and so many of the, the the thought process from my understanding was that you're dealing with large animals and women can't manage them, and so we'll restrict the numbers. And then um, I think they started to have. It sounded like the talk is that there were too many vets to um, too few posts in the country, and so the thinking apparently was that if we allow more women in then, you know, they're going to go off and have children. I mean, it sounds very sexist, and, and it was. And then, um, and then they opened the doors to more female applicants into vet school. As a strategy, almost, it sounds like. Well, yes. And, um, and probably about 10 years later, they stopped those restrictions altogether. So now it's, it's purely on merit. Yeah. So, all right. So I, uh, out of your class of 100, roughly, how many wanted to do small animal work? Sure. I would say um, a, a, at least 50%. Um, and then there, there were always those that wanted to do research and did. And there were those that went on to become state veterinarians. 
Um, and then a lot of our class actually immigrated uh, not long after we qualified. So they've gone on to be all sorts of veterinarians in different countries around the world. Did you, what was your, when, when you started school, what was your idea of what you were going to do when you got out? My idea was that I really wanted to be a cattle vet. Um, <laughs> I think that the, the, um, it was quite difficult. So when I qualified, we were in a recession, there weren't very many jobs and the, the jobs that were available were in small animal practice. And so that's where I went and I, I worked well and it was successful. I was offered a partnership soon after I qualified. And that's just how things progressed, you know, from there. I, I there, there wasn't an opportunity for me to move into large animal work and I was happy where I was. So if I have my timeline right, you graduated in 1994? Correct. Okay. So you're out in private practice and you get offered a partnership. Do you take it? Absolutely. <laughs> Not without a lot of um, anxiety. I think that it was a, what happened was I thought, I wonder this, so the gentleman that owned the practice, I'd worked for him for about three months and he said, this is fantastic. I really want to offer you um, a 50% share because I believe that people work better when they're invested and um, I will stand surety for whatever loan you need. And so I, I went home to my husband and I said, I don't know when there's going to be another opportunity like this or when there's going to be someone else who's going to be willing to back me up. And so I signed on the dotted line and we were partners for another eight years. Now, was that, is that an unusual financial arrangement there for, for the owner to say, I'm going to, I'm going to stand up for you? I think that at the time it was. Definitely. And these days, I don't even know. I mean, I've owned my own business since then. So I, I don't even know what, what hoops people have to jump through to get credit. Yeah. Um, so in, when did your interest in, in holistic medicine or complementary alternative medicine take hold? Yeah. Um, towards the end of our, um, of our partnership. So my original business partner and I, um, he was um, a very accomplished surgeon. Before we had specialists, really, um, when people did things and learnt um, in that process as opposed to the opportunity to go and study further. So he really was, he did a lot of orthopedic work and I learnt a great deal from him and under him. But I was sort of, there was a nagging little thing at the back of my mind. Why did some of the patients do so well and some of them didn't? And surely there must be a way that we could improve on that. So that sort of sparked my interest in um, in hydrotherapy and physiotherapy or physical rehabilitation. Um, and then a veterinary nurse came back from the University of Tennessee. That was sort of in the early 2000s. Um, and she'd done the course. And then I started talking to her. But before I could do anything in that line, my own health um, took a turn for the worse. And I think that's really where my my delving into integrative and alternative therapies started because then it was looking into acupunctures and energy medicines, you know, those different modalities, not so much homeopathy, more on the energy, energy levels. Um, and once I got better, I started thinking, well, if 
if it's worked for me and it's applicable to me, why is no one doing it for animals? And so then I started to combine, I, I sort of went the physical rehabilitation route because we live in quite a conservative society. And so there was more science to the physical rehab than there was supposedly to the energy medicine. I mean, we're starting to find a lot of things out now about um, about energy medicine and and um, sure, I can't even think of the word now, it'll come to me. But at that time, there wasn't any. And so physical rehab was a way to open a practice, do business, and then investigate the other avenues more. Sure. So where are you in your business relationship at this point? With regards to? So you are, you're partners and then you do, you get this interest and then oh. you said it ended after eight years. Okay. We've sort of skipped a, you know, about a decade there. I, um, <laughs> I, I bought my partner out before I became ill. So I owned the practice for about two years as a sole proprietor. And that, I think, is what started my health um, downfall. Um, and so I, I did um, bring in another partner. And then when I got ill and I had to have a number of um, surgeries which were not successful initially, I basically went to my partner and said, I, I have to concentrate on my own health. Um, I need to sell my share. And so that's what I did and then spent sort of three years getting myself better. And I am, I have no remnants from, from any of the, of the illnesses. Um, and in that time, that's when I, I also pursued my own qualifications or my other qualifications, the acupunctures and the, and the rehabilitations and so on. So when I was, when my health had returned, I had a choice to either go back into small animal practice or to start a new venture. And um, going back into new into practice as I knew it, I mean, I wasn't the same person. And it would, I felt that it would be really difficult. And so I opened Animal Health and Hydro where I am now. So that was um, early 2009. Wow. So did you pursue re rehabilitation, rehabilitation training first? Before I opened the practice. Yeah. Um, I did some courses in canine hydrotherapy in the UK. And then mm -hmm. I, I, and I did um, some acupuncture courses in, in Scotland. And then I started practicing and opened up my practice and realized I really needed another qualification. And so that's when I went to the University of Tennessee and did their canine, the CCRP, the Certificate in Canine Rehabilitation. So I'd that opened the practice been. before I started, before I'd really got that qualification. Gotcha. So how did you work that running your practice and how many times did you have to come over to Tennessee then? So at that stage, Tennessee offered um, what they called the fast track. So it was before all the online learning. <laughs> I'm really sounding old. Um, so I went, I only went once for just shy of a month um, where we did all the lectures we did all the hands-on, um, on-site learning, the practical aspects of it. And then I had to complete my case studies and my 40 hours of externship, which I was then able to do here in South Africa. So I was in Tennessee for nearly a month. How did you like it there? I loved it. It was a fantastic um, visit. Um, we were about 50 people in that class, in that rehab class. So all of us doing the fast track from all over the world. It was an amazing introduction to 
so many different um, cultures and and just people all passionate about animals and really it was a, it was an incredible time and we did a lot of exploring we did have spare time um and some of the friends that i made then are still friends it i mean it was an incredible um time in my life it was lovely it's a beautiful part of the country yeah yeah so you got back still have the practice and you've done a little bit of acupuncture training Mm-hmm. But then I, I know the Chi Institute found its way in there some at some point. Yes, and um, my timelines for the Chi Institute might be a little bit off. I think it must have been about 2017. They um, they offered their course in South Africa, and um, that saved a great deal of money in terms of travel and accommodation. And having worked with acupuncture for a number of years by then. And most of my training was sort of what we would term Western veterinary acupuncture. Um, it was time. It, it just seemed like uh, the next phase for me. So I did do the, the Chi Institute course. Was that, did that involve, even though it was in South Africa, did it involve a lot of travel for you? Um, no, because it was actually um, – presented at the veterinary faculty and that's about 80 kilometers away from where I am. What does that translate to? About 50 miles, I think. Yeah, not bad. So uh, obviously you probably, well, you correct me if I'm wrong, you probably didn't have any exposure to that sort of medicine in school. Not at all. Not at all. All of the exposure that I've had is, is really started from when my own health um, took a dive and then I started reading and we started trying things. I started trying things. And, you know, you meet people and you talk and you have conversations and and then something resonates with you and you follow that path. Um, it's been, it's really been a, um, an amazing journey for me to discover all these little avenues. And, and you, I'm sure you will agree. I mean, we never stop learning. So there's always new stuff that comes out, new things to pursue new little nuances to add. I mean, my, my Chinese medicine is, is really, I don't even, I'm, I'm an infant in terms of that. Um, but it's really great to listen to everyone. And when I have an opportunity, do that webinar. And it's because there's always a little something that you can bring into your practice. That's true. That's so true. So how many took the course uh, when you did it over there, the Qi course? Um, I think we were 26. So not a big class. And we did um, large and small animals together. So we sort of did equines and canines as a group. So I've had a bit of um, equine exposure as well. I have two horses on my property um, and I practice on them. But I don't see horses as a rule, not f- not not for financial gain. <laughs> uh, that. That uh, it's interesting when you meet some of the some people in some of those courses where they're making a full life shift. You know, you'll have small animal veterinarians who all of a sudden want to start treating horses, and that's their way in. You know, is to yes. do some of these things, and I, I find that fascinating. Now, did Doctor Shea come over, or did he, you get to meet him at all? He did. Um, I consider myself very fortunate to have been taught by him. Um, so he was here for the first set of um, lectures and presentations and the first um, practical, the first part of the practical training. 
Um, and I, he, have you, have you met Dr. Shea? Yes. Yeah. And I, I mean, he is an incredible person and being, but the thing that made the most impact on me was him standing in front of the class and we had a complete power failure, um, which is quite common in South Africa. And it was pitch black because the auditorium, there, there was no, there's no windows, the doors were all closed. And so one of the organizers went out to see if they could put the lights on and they couldn't, but the doors were left open. So there was a bit of light and um, it wouldn't come back and it wouldn't come back. And he just, he never lost his cool. He was as calm as anything. He said, okay, okay, okay. Let's move on to something else. Come, come. Who's got neck pain? Come, let's, let me do a demonstration. I mean, and he just smoothed over from one thing into the next, totally unperturbed. Um, and and it made such an impression on me. That's a great story, and and that that doesn't surprise me one bit. Yeah, you know that he can. I imagine that the world can be coming down around him, and he would be very calm. Yes, well, he certainly showed it on that day, um, because I my experience with some of some of the course presenters is a bit prima donnaish, um, and he had no, there was none of that. It was just okay. It's not coming back anytime soon. Uh, let's make good use of this time. It was fantastic. It was a very, very I, big I lesson for me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Over over and above what I learned in, you know, in the field of Chinese medicine. Sure. Uh, did it resonate? Did did the Chinese medicine resonate with you right away? It does. You know, the whole five element theory and and the way that we can seek patterns. Um, and assist us in actually really treating the individual. It's it's a very big draw card for me. I don't, you know, my practice is purely rehabilitation and pain management. I don't really see medical cases, but it is nice to have some basics to fall back on. And we've got, I've got a nice number of colleagues that if I think they need more Chinese medicine intervention, then I refer them that way. Um, but the I've always felt, certainly with physical rehab, every dog that has, for example, a cruciate ligament injury, you can't do a recipe. You can't treat them with a recipe. And I know that in the textbooks, certainly for rehabilitation, there's lots of timelines and you should, if the dog has the surgery, then you should expect toe touching then and you should expect partial weight bearing by then. And I think they're really good as a guide, but every dog is going to be different and every dog is going to adjust differently, heal differently, move differently. Um, and so that aspect of Chinese medicine appeals to me because for me, in what I do, it is absolutely essential that I treat the dog and not treat according to a recipe or, I mean, yes, I'll use the guidelines, but it, it really is imperative that I look at the dog and that whatever I choose and however I treat it's with that individual animal in mind. It really does change your outlook on those cases, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. In a good way, in a very good way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you felt, I imagine you felt pretty confident to just step out of the course and, and you were off and running. Yes. I mean, the course is designed that way. Um, so once you, you know, if you, if you utilize all that there is for you, um, to learn all of those aspects, the, the online recordings, the notes, the practical sessions, the hours that you have to put in, you know, the sort of externship hours. If you utilize all of that and you really invest in it, 
there's no reason. It's absolutely set up for you to step out and start to practice. Now, do you use herbs in your practice then too? I use a few herbs, um, but mostly for mostly for pain or for ligament issues. Um, but yes, I do use some. Are you? Do you have the the Jingtang products available to you? I do. Yes. Oh, that's good. Yes. So it's you know we've it's been a bit interesting with the with the lockdown. Um, our exchange rate was not favorable, and our um, customs systems were almost shut down. And so we had about six weeks where we couldn't get anything. And slowly it sort of started to filter in again. So it's, it's, a, it's a little bit, um, well, we just do the best we can with what we've got <laughs> and hope that soon the products will start flowing in again. How about the rest of your medical supplies? I mean, I know you're just doing rehabilitation, but any sort of protective equipment, is that available to you now? Protective equipment with regards like, to? Gloves even, uh, exam gloves, that sort of thing? Oh, yes. So, yeah, we did have um, in the beginning phases sort of um, a sellout, you know, um, but I think everything's come back in line now. I'm not aware that there are any any difficulties in getting anything at this stage anymore. Good. Yeah. So tell me about the the, the canine uh, body worker training. Okay. Well, you know, it is a it's an offshoot of equinology, um, equine body workers training, which is a a United States. Um, I don't know whether it's patented, but it certainly it has its origins in the states. And then there is a company. There's a group. Well, actually, a um, a couple that. Um, brought that concept into South Africa and obviously we're licensed under Equinology um, and Canonology, as I said, is the offshoot. So I I had an opportunity to learn more about the massage techniques and so I, I took it and um, it's been a, a very big, um, a very good extra um, in terms of my practice. So all of the therapists that are here now have have done the canine um, body workers course, and I think it's it just you know I thought my palpation skills were good with acupuncture, but I think the canine body works also just gave me an extra edge in terms of feeling what what's happening in the dog. That's so important. Yeah, yeah. So so tell me about your practice. How many how many workers do you have? Um, so I started off in 2009 with only me for the first two years. You know, when you're a jack of all trades, oh, you sure. invoice, you make appointments, you chat on the phone, you treat the animals, you do the pool, you know, you manage the pool with all its chemicals and so on. So my my building is on my property. I live on a small holding. Um, so I'm fortunate I don't have to travel to work. I walk to work, which is lovely. And then um, after the first two years, I, I actually became so busy, I needed an assistant. And right now, I have um, three branches, all of them in the same sort of province, um, literally about between 40 and 50 kilometers from each other. And I employ another veterinarian and another four therapists and a a very important administrative person. 
<laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> and so I um, I really sh um, travel between t the two branches since lockdown. The third branch, my um, my veterinary colleague is is managing on her own with a with a therapist to help her. How many? So what's your schedule between the two the two places? How do you? So I spend um, a day and a half in the smaller branch. And in this branch here at home, I spend the balance of the time. So another three and a half days here. And I don't, I'm sort of consulting about five hours a day. And the rest of the time is, is made up of podcasts and webinars and business administration and those kinds of things. Was it difficult to find an associate that hadn't had an interest in what you do? Yes. Yes. You know, the, the, population in South Africa, the veterinary population, I think it's at about three and a half thousand that are registered with our council. So it's not large. So that's that's across the board, large and small animal, animal state vets, production animal vets, everything. And um, to find vets that have qualified in either rehab or acupuncture um, is rare. To find one that is qualified in both is even more difficult. So the lady that works with me now has also done the Chi Institute course, and she's in the process of considering to sign up for the um, CIVT rehab course, my one, <laughs> so she can have an <laughs> official qualification. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I mean, just being able to do the courses through CIVT is just phenomenally, uh, the, the education is great and the, the convenience, of course, you know. Yes, and certainly since um, I, I think I started following CIVT in about 2012, 2013, um, I might have my dates a little wrong, and the the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The variety of what is now available is in, is a, incredible. It's really really good to be able to go and say, "Wow, I can get a quality." education here and again feel like I can step into practice and use it. Definitely. Definitely. Well, um, we're recording this in September of 2020 and you've got three webinars coming up for CIVT. I'm really excited that, that you're able to spend the time with us and do those. Thank you. I'm looking forward to those too. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And uh, thanks so much for talking with me today. I, I really enjoyed getting to know you a little better and, and uh, hearing about things over there. Perfect. And thanks for the time. Thank you, Neil. It, it was great chatting to you too. All right. Bye-bye. Cheerio. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.